0: I appreciate being able to be here with you tonight, and I do have to tell you, by the way, I'm uh, excited, and uh, (laughs) my folks back home, when they would hear this, they would get a little bit scared. I've got two things, two things that have happened to me in the last uh, few hours that probably mean we're going to be here for a long time. Number one, I got a (laughs) nap, and number two, I got a cup of coffee. And so my folks back home, that means they bring out their sleeping bags and their pillows and they just get ready for a long haul. But uh, I just want to thank you for welcoming me. And, you know, again, on behalf of uh, uh, even my church back home, you know, I-, I want you to realize that we considered actually a privilege uh, to actually even pray for you. And, and uh, in this sense here, uh, I-, I love, I, I told uh, Brother Steve this, but, but one of the things when I became a Uh, a pastor back 10 years ago as I told our church family that I wanted to go um, around the world to where our missionaries were and to where other churches were Uh, because you know there's there's something about uh, this thing of the gospel it's for all the world and we sometimes you know we, we can get so wrapped up in our problems in our lives that we fail to realize that there are Christians around the world just like you and just like me and and, and and that's why this has actually been just very refreshing for me, and and your spirit I, I I wish I could just simply bottle up your spirit and bring it back home and everywhere I went just kind of open it up and and you've got a unique spirit and I just really appreciate all that you've done for us uh, while I've been here and and again especially the Messer Smith family they've taken me in and they've taken good care of me and uh, they uh, have have adopted me so to speak here for a couple of days. But uh, we've had just a great, great time. And every one of you, I want to, again, encourage you. I'd love to stay in touch with you. If you do the Facebook thing, make sure that you friend me. I'd like to uh, be your friend on Facebook. And that way, if you ever have a prayer request, I guarantee you, if you ever let me know on Facebook that you've got a prayer request, I will pray for you. And I will keep on praying. And if uh, you'd even want me to share that with my church back home, I'd love to share a prayer request and just because, of course, the, you know, the Christian life, there is a bond that is unique and it's something that can't be explained, except you know what I'm talking about. And I just appreciate all of, your, uh, all of your examples here of love and expressions of love. I appreciate them. And I'm looking forward to this last message here tonight. Now, if you have your Bible, take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, this will be, if, if you like, by the way, a very detailed Biblically thought-out message. This is one of those here tonight. We have been talking about demonic strongholds, and we've been talking about a couple of nights ago. We began by talking about uh, the spiritual strongholds, and we mentioned how that First Timothy four says that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. And we talked about those seducing spirits, and we said that what we need to look at uh, when we talk about uh, these seducing spirits is, uh, let's forget about, in this sense here, whether it's a possession, we don't believe that happens to a Christian, or oppression, but just simply the fact that Satan wants to get in your life. And he wants to try and establish what are called strongholds, and these fortresses, these castles, he tries to get as far into uh, God's territory as he can, and, and so we mentioned about these strongholds, and uh, just uh, even last night, we began talking about 18 different doors. By the way, I, I realized afterwards I somehow misplaced here number seven hatred, uh, the inside uh, anger. But uh, there's 18 different doors. And, and you need to understand this properly that, listen, Satan doesn't care which door. You know, that's the thing. And, and if he can't get you with one, he's got a lot more. And uh, as long as he can get in, and I even used the illustration last night. Uh, about the mouse and my wife, my dear wife, as she got scared to death, uh, that mouse got in and a crazy mouse. well listen, the seducing spirit, all he needs to do is just get in and then he establishes a stronghold, and once that stronghold is in, it's hard to get victory. but tonight I'm going to share with you how, how you overcome this because you know I, I love the verses in the Bible that talk about victory and talk about Uh, The fact that we are on the winning side. Well, these are victorious verses here in Ephesians chapter 6. Notice in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6.10, and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints by the way before i proceed is there anybody that does not have a copy of the notes anybody need a copy we do have one two okay where do we have them we've got a few here I want to make sure that you get a chance here to follow along. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. And all right, Brother Joe's getting, all right, right over in the back here. We want to make sure you can follow along. We, we want to get back to Ephesians chapter 6, but before we do so, there are a number of scriptures that I want to explain to you because they fit very importantly, and you have to understand these scriptures if you are going to win the battle take your Bible and turn to 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 and we notice here some warfare language in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 I want you to notice in verses 3 and 4 just a couple of things 2nd Corinthians 10 verses 3 and 4 notice Paul says this for though we walk in the flesh we do not war notice all of the phrases that talk about warfare We do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, notice several things there. Paul calls it war. He says warfare and war a couple of times there. Notice he also says that the war is against the flesh. Do you remember even us talking about that last night, the three main enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil? So, by the way, that ought to tip us off here, who we're fighting against. Notice he says that the weapons we have are not carnal. You do not fight flesh with flesh. In addition, uh, notice he says that our weapons, and notice that is plural, our weapons are mighty, but only notice this, there's a couple of key phrases, you might want to even circle them in your Bible. Notice, through God. Through God. It says to the pulling down of strongholds. That's going to be a very important thing we are going to come back to here in a second. Notice in verse number 5, here's what he says about these strongholds now. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. Again, it sounds like war terminology. Capturing like an enemy combatant, bringing into captivity, notice, every thought to the obedience, and here it is again, you might want to circle these words, of Christ. Of Christ. Notice, mighty, through God, verse number 4, notice, we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Who should every thought be in obedience to? Christ. Of Christ. That word exalteth. In verse number 5, it's an interesting word in the Greek language. It's the root word in the Greek that refers to something being lifted up. It's used elsewhere, by the way, Uh, even speaking about a ship and the mast of a ship. Uh, You you find it even in Acts chapter 27 where it says they hoised the mast. It's the same thing, exalted. It lifts up, kind of like the mast of a ship. And, And it's talking here about these thoughts, these thoughts that get exalted. Again, pride. Sounds like the devil. And the fact that Paul is talking about strongholds, we literally have that phrase here, uh, tells us that seducing spirits are involved. You see, seducing spirits want to have an influence on your thoughts. That's where it begins and that's where it needs to end. I'm telling you that if we win the battle here, the battle is won. But when we do not bring into captivity every thought, to the obedience of Christ, we have opened up a door. It, it might be a thought of adultery. It, that's what happened with David. You realize that David, again, I, I talked about here the other night all of the characteristics of a, uh, somebody who has had a seducing spirit uh, you know, I- involved in their life. Uh, David was pacing back and forth. I picture him pacing. I picture him kind of antsy. It's at night. What should you be doing late at night? Sleeping. Sleeping. Where should David have been? On the battlefield. But David is pacing. Remember, I I talked to you about uncontrollable. I talked to you about uh, this unsettled. And David gives a couple of the characteristics of a man who is allowing a seducing spirit. You see, I think that he already had his mind wandering. And all he needed was just simply to view a woman who was bathing from his rooftop, which by the way, the king had the highest place so as he's looking down, his heart all of a sudden is, uh, is taken over. There's a thought that comes to his mouth, but that thought had already been there, and all the seducing spirit needs is just simply a door. That's why you need to have every thought. Every thought in obedience to Christ. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1. By the way, uh, in your notes there, next to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we are talking here, notice it points out, thoughts that exalt themselves against Christ. Thoughts that exalt themselves against Christ. Now, Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, we are going to notice here, and you can write this in. The description of apostasy is going to resemble the eighteen doors of seducing spirits. I want you to notice in Romans chapter one that this is literally a description of the spiritual warfare. In fact, if you happen to have what is called a Schofield reference Bible, Mister Schofield subtitles this section the seven stages of Gentile world apostasy in other words seven steps down what are they it starts out with man knowing God the knowledge of God in verse number 21 because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God so step number one they did not glorify God notice next neither were thankful neither were thankful that's the second step they weren't thankful to God Notice number three, but became vain in their imaginations. The imaginations start running wild. And then notice number four, their foolish heart was darkened. By the way, darkness characteristic of Satan. His kingdom is the kingdom of darkness. When your mind becomes dark, keep in mind a seducing spirit has gotten in. And uh, notice uh, as well, back to Romans chapter 1, verse number 22, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools that's the fifth step downward they professed wisdom but became fools and then notice number six and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man that's number six and notice into birds into four-footed beasts and creeping things they changed God into the lowest of creation by the way you're seeing that before your very eyes eyes you know especially here in this country where you had Darwin and Darwinism and I tell you what you're seeing the effects of it where they're worshiping the things, the creatures, the creation, and they're not worshiping God. There's no time for God. But boy, they sure want to save the little creatures. I mean, back in the States where I'm from, you know, they won't let a man build on his property because there might be some little insect that's an endangered species. Now, by the way, they don't have the same care and concern for an unborn baby, but they do care about a little insect. You see, there's something wrong with the thinking. And then you find, by the way, God letting them go. And I'm not going to go through in the entire list, but, but I do want to point out to you uh, just a, a couple of things because there's a big long list, but I want to point out to you verse number 29, fornication. Remember a door? Fornication. Notice as well, full of envy in that same verse. Envy, another one of the doors. Uh, notice as well, debate. I think that would be like variance. We talked about a door. Galatians chapter 5, variants are having to disagree, having to argue all the time. Notice as well, there's whispers, and, and we talked about several that uh, basically seditious and, and group a heresies and different things like that. Notice in verse number 30, haters of God. Notice as, as well, there's covenant breakers, her- heresies again, overthrowing authority. Uh, these are found in these verses. Now, I, I don't find all... Uh, 18 doors but I do find enough to let me know that Satan has somehow gotten into the world see apostasy comes when seducing spirits get in now you, you, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12 for our third passage because all of these are going to help us we've got to have the right foundation And understanding that there are such things as seducing spirits And they're trying to get into our lives and develop some strongholds. But what is the right approach? In Matthew chapter 12, I want you to notice there is somebody who has authority to bind Satan the strong man. Here in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has just finished casting out one who was possessed with a demon, a man who was both blind and dumb. He could not speak, and the Pharisees. Have committed the unpardonable sin. They specifically accused Jesus of performing his miracle through the use and the power of the devil, uh, basically, of being demonic. They said, You're demonic. And they accused the holy Son of God of being so dirty as to even associate with Beelzebub, the God of the flies. And in answering these accusers, Jesus also teaches us something about spiritual warfare. Notice in verse number 25, and Jesus knew their thoughts. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what, that is profound and that is impacting. He knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house? Verse number 29, and spoil his goods. And here it is, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. And keep in mind that just a couple of verses later, Jesus begins talking to about the man and illustrating the man with the unclean spirit who has that unclean spirit go out of his life, but then he brings back in seven others. It's in the same context. Now, the, the point is that Jesus is talking about war or warfare. And we need to understand, and what, where I came to grips, this was revolutionary uh, for me and for my church's thinking this last year, when I came to realize your approach means everything. And I really have come to grips with, and you'll notice even down on the bottom there, you'll fill in one of the blanks here, but there's really only two main approaches that we find that Christians are trying today. One of them works and one of them does not. The first approach, we will call it the warrior approach. Which at first sounds good, after all it's war, it's warfare. And I have to tell you by the way, there's something appealing about this. You know, I don't think I told you this story, but the way that I got engaged to my wife, we've been married now for it's going to be 28 years coming up here in about a month. And uh, about 29 years ago, I decided that I wanted to ask her to marry me, and so I wanted to do something that was really macho, really manly, and so I decided to be a knight in shining armor. I decided I was going to be a knight in shining armor. Now, I was, back in those days, you know, if we have any young men here, I'm sorry to say this, but, you know, when you're about that age, you know, 20, 20 24 somewhere in your early 20s you know you're really dumb you don't know everything you think you do but so I thought it'd be really cool to be this night in shining armor and I thought it'd be no problem so I just thought it would be an easy thing I had part of it solved by the fact that I had a friend who owned a horse and I asked my friend my buddy I said listen could I borrow your horse he said for what I said I want to get engaged he happened to know um, Valerie, my, my wife now, and so he said, Well, absolutely, I'm friends of the family. And so he, he let me borrow his house. This is in the city. This is in the city. And, and and so he let me borrow his house his horse, and so we arranged for the horse to be just a couple of blocks away from her house. And that this all arranged with her mom and dad. So they knew it. Valerie did not, it was a surprise. But the other part about it was I had to look like a knight in shining armor. Now I I just did a search, and and we had back in those days. You didn't have, of course, the internet. Really, was not up to speed. It's nothing that you would think of today. Uh, It was ancient days, and so I looked in a phone book and looked under the yellow pages, and I I, I found something that looked like it would work. And it it said, you know, basically, I could look like a knight in shining armor. And I called up this place. It was a place called Teeners, and this place up in Minneapolis. And I said, listen, I want to look like a knight. And oh yeah, we we got that. and 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 so $50 and so I agreed to pay $50 so I could look like a knight and 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 so the day arrived the day that I was going to get engaged and I went down to this place downtown Minneapolis and I walked into this place and I had my $50 and I put it on the counter I said I wanna you know here to pick this up and and so they gave me a bag just like a trash bag I said okay where is it you know I'm I'm picturing the full suit I'm picturing, you know, walking around, you know, tough, macho man. And um, they said, it's all in here. And so I took this, this bag and, and I brought it back home. And this is literally just within about an hour now of when I have to appear on this horse and do the whole thing. I've got this all arranged. And, and, and I, I opened the bag and it's a costume, a theatrical costume. I examine it a little bit more closely and suddenly my macho image is going down the tubes because the first part of this is the under part of it which is basically just black leotards like a ballet (laughs) but never fear I also noticed that there is what looks like you know kinda like this armor and everything and there's for the arms there's for the chest there's for the legs and so I begin strapping it on when all of a sudden fear goes through my whole body when I realize it's for the theater they only have it for the front you know the saying if you're in theater you never turn your back in the well I made sure that night my back was never turned to the audience so I literally came riding up on this horse and when I got off I'm up against the horse and I dropped to a knee and I said, "Will you marry me?" She said, "Yes." I wanted to just get out of the way as soon as I could. But listen, yeah, we, we this is a land where you know it's famous, of course, uh, for knights and of course chivalry and of course you know the uh, you know vanquishing you know for the kingdom and the castle and for you know the nation and this is the, you know the place where you kind of think about that. Well, well, listen, there's something about this that is very appealing. After all, who doesn't want to be a warrior? Who doesn't want to be? By the way, I want to point out to you that the occult also believes in this approach. Much of the occult uh, is basically, and I've done a lot of studies with this, and, and in fact, again, I've actually done a lot of studies, and I've presented different things to my church, and and over the years, and 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 basically, you find, you know, uh, things such as you know Pokemon, or you know even some of the uh, films and some of the storylines, you know, Sabrina the teenage witch, and you've got Harry Potter and you know all of that. They deal with different levels of powers. Tears. Powers. Now, you know, it sounds very appealing. Well, why not just simply get stronger in order to defeat a higher power? Now what did Jesus say? He he basically said this. He 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 said when when he was accused of doing something that was demonic, very satanic. What what did he say? He, he, he said something. If you follow it very carefully, he said, "In order for me to do that, he said, I would have to first of all deal with Satan." Now, by the way, he did not disclaim that he could. He did not say that he couldn't do it. He he didn't dispute that at all. But he said, "Listen, you you, you don't understand." He said uh, in, in that last verse, he said, "In order to do that, uh, I would first of all have to deal with the strong man." So you're saying that I'm doing this in league with with Satan but after all if I'm going to do that I would first of all have to bind the strong man to do that I would have to do that notice by the way singular he said the strong man see the problem with this approach is there is only one strong man to deal with the strong man at the heart of the problem the very epicenter of the problem Jesus said is the devil he's on the other side He's the strong man. And he said, listen, a house divided against itself. He said, you can't do that. It's going to divide. And you can't stand if you're going to be divided. He said, this doesn't make any sense. But I want to point out to you that he didn't dispute that if he wanted to, and he did prove many, many times, he was the one who could deal with the strong man on the other side. He was the one. You know, I have to tell you that we have a problem in our thinking and it's very much related to the seven sons of Skeev. If you've ever studied that story there in the book of Acts, there was this man by the name of Skeev, and he, had, he was involved, of course, religiously there with the Jews and, and, and thought his seven sons thought that they could uh, you know, exercise the same power that was available to the disciples, to Paul and the others. And so they decided to go ahead and just simply throw out the name of Jesus you know, flippantly and say, we're going to do this also. And they threw it out there. And you remember that the demon came upon them And said these words: "said Jesus, said Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, but who are ye?" I want to point out to you that technically it doesn't even matter the phrase there, "Paul, I know," because actually the only one that really counts there is Jesus. Jesus, you realize there's only one person who can bind the devil. There's only one, and it's not me. It's not you. Now I have to tell you this especially with you know observing some things when I when I last time I was over in Israel there's a lot of phony a lot of fraud stuff out there when I was over in Israel the last time we we had and this kinda goes along with this healing stuff and and a lot of the stuff that is claimed to be done you know in miracles and so forth and I can remember last time I was in Israel and and we had our one bus but we pulled up I think it was in Qumran and we pulled up to the rest area there uh, by the restaurant and, and we pulled into the parking lot, and right next to us pulled about three big buses, all filled with people that were following Benny Hinn. And, and you know, my people were very observant, because if you know anything about Benny Hinn, you know he has all of these crusades, and and he he walks around, of course, dressed in white, and he touches people, and they fall over. And boy, there's people, you know, supposedly healed and. It, My people pointed out and they said, Pastor, we saw a guy getting out in a wheelchair. And that person there, they're obviously blind. They're being led around with a cane. How come they're getting off of his bus and they're not healed? Maybe because he doesn't have the power. Maybe because, in fact, I have to tell you that, you know, speaking of Benny Hinn, uh, time I was there in Israel before, I was actually working with one of the guides that we had. His wife was accompanying us, and she's also a guide. She was telling us the story uh, of when Benny Hinn came to Jerusalem the year before, and he was conducting a crusade. And he was on the stage, and of course, if you've ever seen this on TV, and it's very elaborate, and the music, everything, you know, theatrically, everything is just right. And she was telling... Now this is, by the way, an unsaved Jew... Who is telling me this story? She's a guide, just a guide in Israel. And she said, Oh, Pastor Claire, she said, You know, I was there and I was responsible for the whole entourage. It's a big crusade, there's thousands of people. It's in Jerusalem, big Colosseum. And he's having all these people coming up and there's, you know, this healing stuff and all this other stuff he's claiming. And in the middle of his crusade, he just simply looks up in the sky and he says, Lord, if you're pleased with us, just send us a sign. And it was at that moment that a couple of doves came floating down upon the stage. And the people clapped, and the people cheered, and they said, And in fact, she said, I was so taken by the moment, she said that I said in my heart, maybe there's something real about this. She went to the manager, the manager of the whole Benny Hinn crusade, and she went to him afterwards, and she was just, you know, just in awe, and she said, wow, I couldn't believe it, especially when those doves came floating down. He began to laugh at her, and he said, oh. he said, look up there. There's a catwalk. He said, I was the one holding the cage, and I let the birds down. It's just part of the show. You know, maybe we ought not to be so easily fooled. Maybe we need to realize there's only one who has the power. I have to tell you that I did some reading here a couple of months ago, and actually it was Brother Jeff here who got me onto a book, and I read this book, it was by a man by the name of Carl Payne. Carl Payne serves as a chaplain for the football team in the states there, the NFL football team, the Seattle Seahawks. And And he does a lot of speaking. Now, he's not a Baptist, I have to tell you that. I don't agree with everything he says. But in his book about demons and demonization, he was describing an incident that happened early on in his ministry. He came across a young lady that obviously was possessed with a demon. Her name was Jill. And he said that he didn't know what to do, but he began to gather all of a sudden... the. Jill came over with her dad and he began to gather all sorts of pastors from the area and even invited a missionary who had dealt with obviously demons and a missionary from Brazil of all places where it's very dark and a lot of occultic stuff and gathered all of these religious people over to his house and they spent all night long doing nothing but just praying and nothing but singing and nothing but reading the Bible and nothing seemed to be happening. He said it got to be later in the wee morning hours and all of a sudden, uh, one man said, listen, I think you know our problem is we don't have enough faith. And now, by the way, interestingly, that pastor said, I think we need to try harder, which is, by the way, against having more faith. So they sang harder. They prayed harder. They even prayed, not like the Lord drops of blood, but drops of just sweat. And they tried harder and tried harder and tried harder, and all of a sudden it seemed as if Jill was calming down, and all of a sudden it seemed like you know, she had been doing things like curling up in a ball and voices coming out of her, and all of a sudden she began to be calm. And one of the men prematurely said, you know, I think we did it. I think we did it. I think it's come out of her. I think we've gotten the victory and they began to clap and they began to cheer and they began to praise the Lord and all of them began to shuffle out of the house that is when and I'll quote him from his book Carl Payne saw something nobody else saw he said as Jill was following her dad out of the front door again remember this was an all night meeting which they were trying to cast out the demon he said as Jill was following her dad out the front door she turned around and she stared just at me. Her, her eyes looked as though they were on fire. She glared at me and Riley smiled, but didn't say a word. Then she quickly turned and walked out with her dad, and it was at that time there that Carl Payne said, you know what, nothing happened at all. See, if we think that we are the warrior, we will not succeed. If we think that we somehow will have some power. I want to, by the way, submit to you that this is a common theme throughout the Bible. For instance, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 13, that great verse says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Again, we're just looking for some basis here before we get to Ephesians 6. In Matthew chapter 16, I want you to notice that Jesus. I believe dealt with a seducing spirit. Jesus dealt, I believe, with a seducing spirit. By the way, back there in Matthew chapter 12 in your notes, Jesus has authority to bind Satan, the strong man. Jesus dealt with a seducing spirit. L- listen, I believe that's true. He dealt, after all, with the seducing of all seducing spirits, the devil himself. And after he revealed going to the cross and rising from the dead, the plan of salvation. remember, Peter rebuked in Matthew 16:22, says then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from Thee, Lord, this shall not be unto Thee. Now what did Jesus perceive? He was so perceptive, and we also ought to be very perceptive. He knew that there was a seducing spirit, the devil, that was trying to get in the door. What did he do? He slammed that door shut. He said, You're not getting in here. What did he say? Verse number 23, But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now Jesus said that. Peter didn't say that. Jesus said that. It was Jesus who had power. And by the way, I would submit to you that Satan obeyed Jesus. He basically kicked him out of the house. Turn to the book of Jude. Second to last book in the Bible. Jude. Jude, we're going to be reading verses 8 and 9 and 10. The book of Jude is an interesting book. It's a book about warfare. In fact, you've got the very common phrase there, contending for the faith. And it's really a rallying book against false teachers and against the dark side, against seducing spirits. And in Jude, verse number 8, only one chapter in Jude, verse number 8, Jude says this, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Dignities. Now, uh, that's a word for rulers. The Greek word here uh, is the same one that we get glory from. The idea is that here are some people who out of uh, their uh, position have gained some kind of respect, glory, so to speak, honor, so to speak, because of their position. And listen, Satan and his demons in the demonic world, they have power and they have satanic respect. They've got respect from the devil. Notice in verse number 9, so we're talking here, now, I believe in a spiritual sense here because verse number nine, the Bible says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, You ought to underline this, the Lord rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. Verse number 10, But these speak evil of things which they know not, but what they know naturally is brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. I think at least in part what Jude is getting at is you need to be careful that you do not decide that you are the one to approach Satan. You're not the one. In fact, I would submit to you, Michael, if you know anything, I don't have time to teach you everything, but Michael, there's thought to be three chief angels, three, we call them arch-angels, that in the past, eternity past here, they had co-equal powers. They were underneath God, and one of those was Michael, one of those was Gabriel, the other one was Lucifer, who became the devil when he rebelled. And so you have, in a sense here, you've got an equal power, you've got... Michael, the archangel, probably the one militarily in, in charge of God's host, the host of the Lord, and, and, and he, equal with Lucifer, he didn't even say, I'm rebuking you. He said, I'm going to leave that up to the Lord. I'm going to, get, I'm going to let the Lord bind you. I'm going to let the Lord deal with you. Again, equal with power, but he even said, I'm not going to be the one that does this. I'm going to be real smart. I'm going to be the one that says, listen, I don't have this warrior approach. It's not the warrior that defeats him, but it's Jesus Christ. Now, take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 4. Again, this is all very, very important for us to understand before we get to Ephesians chapter 6. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4, I want you to notice... The Holy Spirit is greater than the devil. The Holy Spirit, by the way, we believe the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is greater than the devil. You read this verse, notice in verse number 4, 1 John 4, Year of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Notice that it is singular, he, in other words, one. And I believe that one is the Holy Spirit because the Bible teaches when a person gets saved, when an individual trusts Christ as Savior, God has the Holy Spirit come and live inside of you. Why? That's not just simply for decoration. That's for overcoming Satan. Greater is he that is in you. In other words, God trumps Satan, but you and I do not trump Satan. Have you ever considered Job? The story of Job, we find in the story of Job, that God the Father obviously is greater than the devil. In the story of Job, we've got the story where, of course, uh, Satan uh, you know appears before God and requests things, but he only can do what God allows. He's greater. Back back where I come from, the states we have a place called Fort Knox. It's a place that is known as a secure place because it is there that is housed some five hundred, excuse me, 5,000 tons of gold. The security there has to be the most sophisticated. In fact, they don't even allow publication of what security measures they have. It's thought that there's minefields. It's thought that there's the most advanced security system in the world that there's huge, thick vault doors. I mean, it would take an awful lot to try and even get one inch inside of that place without authority. But in addition, if there ever was the need, right next door there is Fort Knox, the actual encampment of the army. There's some 30,000 soldiers that at a moment's notice could be on the scene at any given time. Thought to be impenetrable. But you know what? We oftentimes have the same mentality with us, and yet Satan just needs one crack. He only needs one crack. Now, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want us to just simply be pointing out here as we begin Ephesians chapter 6 there are two approaches at the bottom of your first page there. We said, number one, there is the warrior approach. I think that's the reason why we oftentimes fail because we put the emphasis on us, the warriors. I like something greater than that, and that is number two, the King of Kings. The King of Kings. Who is the King of Kings? The King of Kings is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the King of Kings approach is the approach that basically, I believe, says I'm not capable of trumping Satan, I'm not capable of trumping his spirits, I'm not going to run around like a Benny Hinn and claim I have some superpower, that I'm some super Christian that I'm going to just simply say, you do this and you do that, but instead I'm going to be wise like Michael, even the archangel, say the Lord is the strong man to defeat the strong man. I want you to notice seven phrases. This is on the back of your sheet that are important. We'll notice in addition here, prayer and how to pray. Notice the phrase there, the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6 and verse number 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there describes trickery, treachery. Listen, we need to remember our, uh, in our lives that Satan is tricky. He's deceitful. The word subtle is found in the fall in Genesis 3 where the Bible says that the serpent was more subtle. Literally, that word means smooth. Notice, the wiles of the devil. Secondly, notice the phrase there, we wrestle. Now, that's interesting I happen to be very interested in athletics, and uh, my church family knows this. I, I, now, By the way, I'm not the most athletic anymore when I come back. One of the things that I will be doing here this next week, you pray for me, is uh, my, my boys' team just won the Christian school state um, competition just last night. And, and we always have just one wrap-up game. Uh, and that wrap-up game is we have the boys' team will play the old guys like me, and I'm going to be sucking for air, and I'm going to be—I mean, you pray for this, preach boy, pray that somehow the Lord enables me to make it through. Now, one of the th- things that I know because I'm—I'm I'm athletic and I do like—I do actually referee. I'm a soccer official. I'm also a basketball official on the side. I like to do those things but but you know there's a difference between a lot of the team sports and an individual sport especially the sport of wrestling you see if you have a basketball game uh, you can have a basketball team and you can have once in a while team might be up by a lot of points they can relax and still win the game same is true with soccer or here's it's called football uh, you can have a team that could be up by several goals. They could have a large margin and, and have a cushion, so to speak. They can relax somewhat and still win the game. Same is true with most other uh, you know, team sports, uh, football or baseball. You can have a large margin and you can relax and kind of ease off, kind of not give it your best, not give it your all. And you can have momentary times where you kind of just let them go and you don't worry about it but I do know this about wrestling if you ever decide not to wrestle against your opponent all it takes is just simply a second and you're defeated just a moment and you are defeated notice it says there that we wrestle by, by the way that's why you don't want to take any time off that's why you don't want to have any lapses And especially, remember, we talked about your thoughts bringing every thought into obedience. We wrestle. Notice as well, it says, not against flesh and blood. I want to remind you that it's not humans. It's not people that are our problem. It is a spiritual battle against spiritual forces. And this is where we go wrong so many times. Many of these doors that we even talked about last night, they involve other people. And we say, that's the problem. No, the problem is not that. It's spiritual. If you study, by the way, Ephesians 5 and and, and Ephesians 6, this is why Paul talks about the fact that several relationships need to be safeguarded. You don't want seducing spirits to get in your life because they do affect physical relationships. But your problem is still, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You are wrestling against Satan and his seducing spirits. If you study it in context, you find out that, that Satan wants to gain a stronghold, Ephesians 5, verses 17, 17 through 20, between us and God, our relationship with Him. You also find in verse number uh, 1 through 16 of Ephesians 5, between God and uh, between we and ourselves. Sometimes we basically get divided in ourselves and we become distracted. You find out the marriage is brought in. That's why you have the husband and wife. Uh, The spouse is talked about in verses 21 through 33. How about children? Again, Satan, if he gets in through one of these doors, it affects your life with your children. That's why Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents and Lord. That's why ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath. How about at work? We've got a master-servant relationship that equates to the employer-employee relationship in chapter 6. I'm talking about the fact that what Satan wants to do is he wants to get involved in human relationships, but it all starts with us individually notice as well the phrase against principalities and I don't have time to elaborate too much on this but the point is that Satan again is tiered and he has got different seducing spirits trying to influence in different ways a principality describes I believe a regional power a principality a place of dominion Uh, for example I believe that Satan has seducing spirits that try and influence through government and maybe a city, maybe a province, maybe even a a leader of a country. I believe that's true. But since the battle is not against flesh and blood, then that also means that we, per se, are not the ones capable of doing the battling. It must be, since it is a spiritual battle, spiritually fought. That's why the story that I mentioned from Carl Payne... That's why those men were wrong when they said we will try hard. It wasn't they that needed to try harder. And when you think, by the way, that you're going to just simply try to muster up a little bit more courage or you're going to muster up a little bit more strength, and I'm going to just simply get stronger. No, it's not you that needs to get stronger. You need to employ the spiritual world. Remember, you are dealing with a spiritual world on Satan's side, but what you need to do is you need to employ the spiritual world on God's side. And get, if you want to say it there, Satan has evil, unclean spirits. God has good and clean spirits. And what we need to do when we look at the Christian armor is basically a means of arming God over us. Now, before, by the way, we get to Ephesians chapter 6, let me just reference for you a story. I'll try and be quick on this, but 2 Kings chapter 6 is actually where the story is. You don't have to turn there, but many of you would be familiar with the story of Elisha and his servant at Dothan. It's a story that involves the spirit world. Because the Bible tells us that Elisha, he's been revealing all of the secrets for the king of Syria, and the king of Syria is mad. And in fact, he sends some soldiers to apprehend Elisha. I mean, he wants blood, he wants Elisha's head, he wants to get rid of this tattletale, and so he sends all of his armor, he sends all of his might, and so these soldiers, they surround the city of Dothan. It's a little town. And the servant of Elisha wakes up. And I can just imagine him, his knees begin to knock, and he begins to gulp real hard. And he begins to shake with fear. And it literally looks like a hangman's noose is around him and the city because they surrounded it so tightly. And the servant to the man of God says, This, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And it's interesting that Elisha doesn't seem the least bit faced. By the way, Brother Steve, I, I I noticed something when I read this story here recently. I notice that the Bible only mentions about the servant waking up. We sometimes jump to a lot of conclusions and we kind of tell the story and say, yep, servant uh, of Elisha went over to uh, his master Elisha and he shook him and woke him. It doesn't say that. In fact, by virtue of the fact that it's not there leads me to conclude that Elisha had already been up twice in the story you find out the activity that was natural for Elisha it says twice in the story and he prayed and he prayed he prayed you know what I think actually had been happening I think that the servant woke up and he woke up a little bit late for a prayer meeting Elisha had already been on his knees and prayed. that's why Elisha was not afraid And the servant came to him and said, Alas, master, what, how shall we do? And Elisha, not the least bit faced, said, Listen, Lord, would you please do him a favor? I already see this because I've already clothed my entire being with your power. So would you open his eyes and show him what I see? Now, by the way, would to God we could every single day have eyes that would see what Elisha and his servant saw. The Bible says that Elisha prayed in verse number 17, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Oh, what did David himself, the psalmist, say in Psalm 34, verse 7? He said, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. You see, I believe that Elisha had been praying. Too many times we take matters into our own hands. Uh, notice again in Ephesians chapter 6, it says against powers, again, delegated authority. Notice as well, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm not going to go through all of what this is talking about, but I want you to notice that we have listed the Christian armor in Ephesians chapter 6. And I, I, I want to tell you something that has kind of revolutionized my thinking, because I think we make a couple of assumptive mis- mistakes when we approach this chapter. Number one, the first approach that is so common is we approach this chapter and we talk about all of the armor, the Christian armor, and we list it all, but we do not include prayer. But there's a second mistake. And that is that we may include prayer, but we list prayer as just one piece of armor. I will tell you my study of this, what I have come to conclude. Actually, I have come to conclude that all of the armor is to be used in prayer. In fact, if you would approach this passage this way, it actually would make very much sense. You, you will find, by the way, that he lists all of the pieces of armor, but there's only one thing, and at the very end, I think very appropriately, he says this, and it's the only thing, I believe that uh, basically it's all wrapped up, it's all part of <coughs> prayer. The only thing he ever says always about is praying. You see, you are to be praying always, praying without ceasing. You are to always, and that's, I don't mean by the way going without sleep but i mean that there's never a time there's never a place there's never a situation i think it needs to be continually you need to be in a mode of prayer you need to again by the way if we would do this we would bring into captivity all of these thoughts to the obedience of christ but if you stop and think about it really what he's given in this chapter is a formula the model for the christian to overcome demonic strongholds in our prayer life and i want you to notice what he says He says, pray, first of all, notice in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse number 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with the truth. So the first thing we need to do is we need to pray, uh, notice, with our loins girt about with truth. Gird, gird, cinch up. By the way, I will tell you this in your study of the Bible, uh, the, the... thought behind much of the Bible is that the heart was contained in the loins, the midsection of a person. In fact, that's why even <laughs> you guys, you don't want to do this you know, uh, to your sweetheart you know, on your anniversary day or uh, you know, maybe even on her birthday. You don't want to say this, but Paul oftentimes did this with uh, those that he cared about. He said, basically, I have bowels of compassion for you. It's not going to be very romantic if I come back home to my wife and I say, I love you with all of my bowels. But in their thinking, it was right in the middle of a man. In other words, the core, the epicenter of their very being, their very body. And what he's saying here is your loins, so the midsection, and a Roman soldier would wear a belt around his robe. Why? Because it was, it was very important if he was in battle that his robe be cinched up so that he wouldn't trip. Again, now we understand, we think with our brains, but they considered it to come from the midsection, so it's loins. That's why even Peter even says one time, gird up the loins of your mind. We need to gird up, we need to cinch up. You see, that's the first thing that is necessary. But listen, you pray this way. Can I tell you, the way that I look at Ephesians chapter 6 anymore now is that I literally pray and it is a systematic way for you to surrender every part of your body. Pray this way. And and, and I'll just point it out to you this way. He says, first of all, my loins. Next thing he's going to do is the breastplate. After that, He's going to do the feet. After that, He is going to take one of the arms because the shield was held in an arm. Then He's going to take the helmet and then He's going to finish off with the other arm, the sword of the Spirit. But literally what you have is Him. Basically, you pray and you surrender every part of you. Lord, my mind. Lord, my hands. Lord, my heart. Lord, my feet. Lord, every part of me. You see, to leave any part of you open to a seducing spirit is to lose the battle. Therefore, you pray always with all prayer and supplication. Therefore, you clothe yourself through your prayer life. You literally surrender every bit of you every single day. This is actually, in in other words, I believe a model for us to surrender to God every day. One of the preachers who influenced me greatly, I never understood this, but he, uh, he, he, he used to say this. He used to say that he prayed seven times a day and surrendered himself. never understood that until all of a sudden this came into my thought, and I thought, you know, now I know what he's talking about. Seven times a day, he, sur- he said, Lord, you have my hands. Lord, you have my feet. Lord, you have... And Literally what it is is right here in Ephesians chapter 6. Notice as well, he talks not only about your loins, girt about, with truth, but notice in addition, he says the breastplate. The breastplate there of righteousness. You know, the breastplate is the part that covers the heart. It's called the vital organ. I mean, you can, you can do without you know, certain organs. So for instance, many, many years ago, I had my gallbladder removed. I'm still alive. But if I don't have my heart... I'm dead. Notice, by the way, what is described here, it is the breastplate of righteousness. Of doing what is right. You see, prayer, again, I believe if this is a means of prayer, if this is a dedicating my heart to do what is right, then what we are understanding is that we are giving our heart over to the Lord so that we do righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. Notice as well, he says to pray with our feet shot. We miss so much with these verses. I don't have time to do them justice, but shot is the idea of tying on. Notice already in two out of the first three, there's the idea of tying or controlling your shoes. Boy, tell you what, with the little kids, isn't that what we always, you know, tie your shoes, tie your shoes, tie your shoes. Well, back in Bible days, boy, it was important that they tied their sandals on. They they easily came off. And notice how he says your feet need to be what? Tied with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know what? That's basically saying making sure that you are dedicating your feet to the right activity. What is the right activity? The gospel. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparing your feet so that your feet are going with the gospel. You know, I, I, again, I, I so much I could say here, but I, I, I've got this athletic background. And, and, and in athletics, every sport, I can tell you, the feet are the most important thing to get right. Where you position your feet. I, I, I grew up, one of my main sports that I love to play, Brother Jeff knows this, is, was tennis. And, and in tennis, I, you know, they're, they're, I watch tennis players all the time, and, and where they position their feet, I can tell you where the ball is going to go, it's where their feet are pointed. Same is true with batting, baseball. Same is true with shooting a basketball. I mean, you can't shoot too awkwardly and still expect it's going to go in, generally speaking. You might get lucky once in a while. Uh, but but <laughs> I refereed a referee officiated a game the other day, and a guy literally had fallen on the ground, and he just simply, with his, with his body flat on the ground, he just simply reached, and he threw the ball up in the air, and miraculously, that thing came down right through the basket. It was on the floor. But listen, that's that's not the common thing. See, we need to have our feet right. By the way, verse number 18, Paul Paul mentioned, of course, praying always. Notice what he says in the verse right after that. Verse number 19, and for me. is right after he says, praying always, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel. What is that? Paul was literally practicing what he preached. He said, by the way, pray for me. He said, I'm praying for this too, that I will have opportunities to witness. Pray for me that I will have my mouth open, that I will take those opportunities to boldly, have my mouth boldly, making known the mystery of the Gospel. Your feet need to be dedicated to God. Again, this is how you overcome these demonic strongholds. See, if, if, if you have every part of your being dedicated to God, surrendered to God, you have closed up all the holes. You have closed up all the holes. Then notice he says, pray with faith. Again, this is one of the arms. He says, verse number 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Notice, (coughs) by the way there, we, we uh, we talk about the importance of faith. We talk about the importance of prayer. But notice here that they are inseparable. Take the shield of faith. You cannot pray effectively without faith, and you cannot have faith without praying. So pray with faith. And then he says, pray, taking the helmet of salvation. Now, I have to tell you again, this seems to me to be out of place. But the dressing procedure of the Roman soldier is accurately depicted in these verses. A Roman soldier would have literally clothed himself... By cinching up that robe, then, of course, he would take the breastplate and put it on. Then he would, of course, uh, have his feet shot. He'd tie his shoes. Then next, uh, he would have that shield, and then he would take his helmet, and the last thing he would do is he'd grab the sword. Now, But, but it seems to be out of place. I, I've heard so many preachers say this, and I've even done it, that you need to, this teaches that you need to make sure that you are saved. If that is true, then why isn't it listed first? It would seem to me that if this is talking about going to heaven, then it should have been the very first thing. I mean, after all, why everything else doesn't matter if you're not going to heaven. The more I think about it, salvation, I think, has a broader meaning. And this is not talking about justification, but I believe this is also talking about, and you realize, by the way, the Bible actually uses the word salvation and save. In a broader sense. Uh, for instance, the Bible says this. We, we happen to believe, by the way, that the Bible teaches that we are saved by grace, not of ourselves. But yet the Bible does say in Philippians, it says, work out your own salvation. What? Does that mean I have to work to get to get to heaven? No. Th- that's talking about your sanctification. That's talking about your life. You didn't need to work on that. That's far different. I believe salvation here, and the word literally means a salvaging. We need to. Have uh, take, it says, receive the helmet of salvation. Listen, you need to have this mentality where you are praying for God to salvage your life. And again, notice the helmet protecting you. That's the way to keep the seducing spirit out. Let me finish with the last one here. He says, finally, he said, with the sword of the Spirit. And listen, the seducing spirits are so uncomfortable with the Word of God. Jesus showed that when every time Satan tried to seduce him, in Matthew chapter 4, He said those words, It is written, Psalm 119, 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against Thee. Now again, if you understand this correctly, I believe this is actually and I have since I have begun studying this, I, I every single day, several times a day, I, I will get on my knees, I will pray, and I will dedicate every part of me and surrender. Lord. Help me to cinch up. Cinch up my thoughts. Help me to cinch up. Help me to tie up those thoughts. Lord, I'm giving You my thoughts. And then, Lord, I'm also, not only that, but I'm surrendering my heart. Oh, like Solomon said to his son, Son, give me Thine heart. Lord, I'm giving You my heart. and Lord, I'm not just simply stopping there, but I'm going down to the feet. Now I'm going to make sure that my feet are in the right place. By the way, I believe that means in church, when the church doors are open. I believe that means when there's fellowship opportunities with Christians. I mean, you're in the right place. Not like David, that you're supposed to be in the battle, but you're off there committing adultery. You're in the right place. And so my feet are going to be where they're supposed to be. Lord, I'm giving you my feet. If my feet are in the right place, I'll have a hard time doing what's wrong. My feet. And then, I'm not going to stop there but I'm going to make sure I take one arm with that shield of faith and I'm going to take the helmet of salvation and and you've got my mind now and I'm going to make sure that in addition you have this hand here with the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God. And like uh, the Bible even talks about Eliezer, his hand clave to the sword. My hand is going to cleave to your Word. I'm not going to let go. You know, when you do all of these things, you find... That there's no way for the seducing spirit to get in. You find that what you have done is you have surrounded yourself with the King of Kings. And again, the reason I believe that we oftentimes uh, have problems with seducing spirits is because we try harder. And, and sometimes we make the decision, and it's us, and the emphasis is on us and our power, our strength. Listen, you can't do it. It's not you, it's Him. And if we literally clothe ourselves with Him, then literally He rebukes Satan. And the seducing spirit has no way and Father, I pray that You'd speak to our hearts. And Lord, please help us to have a ready heart to receive the truth tonight. Lord, we have talked about seducing spirits. We have talked about strongholds. And Lord, we've talked about the ways that the seducing spirits get in. But tonight we talked about the answer is You. The answer is you, and Lord, it, it seems so simple. And and Lord, I almost have to apologize, except I know it's true that we miss the obvious. It's not us. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. My hope is in the Lord. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him. How many times we bypass you. And we in our frailty, we in our weakness, we lift ourselves up, we exalt ourselves, we, we make New Year's resolutions, and we fail because they were not clothed with you. We, we make all sorts of promises, all sorts of vows even sometimes, and foolishly we claim, I, I'll never forsake you, yet Peter did. That's why you said watch and pray. Interestingly in the Scripture where you, you even foretold about Uh, about uh, Peter denying you, that you said these words, but I have prayed for thee. See, you were giving Peter even the answer. The answer is prayer. The answer is for you to clothe us, for you to surround us, for you to be the one that resists the devil. Uh, We we read that verse, resist the devil and he will flee from us, but but the Bible also talks there uh, about drawing nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. We should not resist if we do not have God being surrounding us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us here tonight to get the key to get the answer. We pray you'd bless now in Jesus' name. Amen.